Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. To make it as an artist today, you have to have a side hustle. And during the holidays, that sometimes entails slipping into an elf costume to become Santa's little ho, ho, ho. David Sedaris' masterpiece, The Santa Land Diaries, which explores the legendary writer's gig as an elf at Macy's Santa Land in New York City, is now playing at the Goodman Theater, starring Stephen Strafford. Today, writer, actor, and fellow elf, Stephen Strafford joins us to look at all the odd holiday jobs we've taken on over the years, including his current gig playing Crumpet the Elf. Plus, is Amy Sedaris a Jedi in Star Wars Mandalorian? Billy D. Williams says making Lando Calrissian a pansexual robot lover in the film Solo was a huge mistake. And Merriam-Webster names they as its word of the year. I'm Fausto Fernos. I'm Mark Fillion. And this is Feast of Fun. I get this all the time. People say that I have an elf voice. Oh, uh-huh. why would you say that? I had someone, I had someone uh, say to me after the show, she's like, you sound just like David Sedaris. And I was like, very cool. Thanks. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Yeah. Our yeah. guest today is theatrical author and fellow elf. Stephen Strafford, who's taking on David Sedaris's masterpiece, The Santa Land Diaries, now playing at the Goodman Theater until December 29th here in Chicago. Thank you for coming on Feast of Fun. Uh, thanks for having me back. You have a really a, a sold out show, a, a runaway hit playing David Sedaris's masterpiece. And I imagine this must be very exciting for you because this is like a huge, huge, prestigious show to be in. Uh, it's really fun. I'm happy to be back at uh, the Goodman. Uh, I did a wonderful town there a few years back. And uh, being back there with the people who work there is is really great. Um, it is nice to be at a place where, you know, the tickets are going to be sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, the, yeah, and the crowd <laughs> and the crowd's really enjoying it. So I'm uh, I'm having having a good time. And to get to say David Sedaris's words are is really cool. But I mean, this is one of the biggest jobs you've ever had as an actor. It is somewhere in the middle of the jobs <laughs> that I've had as an actor. What's the like the biggest gig you've ever got? Um, I did uh, Spam a lot, which was directed by Mike Nichols. Yeah, so that felt like a big deal. Um, and um, with Richard Chamberlain. No, uh, uh, the, the Broadway, the touring Broadway show or the Broadway show? Yeah, it was uh, with the it was like the the tour of it. OK, like, yeah. But it was a sit down instead of touring the West Coast. They sat down, um, which is just a, a marketing choice they made. And what did you play in Spamalot? I played uh, five parts, uh, but the Prince oh, and wow. the Tower was the biggest one, you know, like the. Uh, uh, what the curtains? That one. <laughs> yeah. And I was like the not dead guy and the historian and all these things. Yeah. What made you want to audition? Did you audition for this role? Or it was a conversation uh, you had with Goodman Theater. Or? Yeah, it was an audition. And um, 
So everybody like did their best David Sedaris impersonation or something. Well, you know, for me, uh, being uh, already vocally close yeah. to David Sedaris, uh, it's kind of a relief because it means I don't have to feel like I have to jump to anything. Mm. And if anything, I'm trying to bring uh, his words to my voice. Mm. And um, I think that what's nice is, you know, you guys have seen Mythtacular and like on, in that show, I'm sort of at the top of my energy. Like I have to be sort of at this very um, affable, open place so you can come along this dark journey. Whereas on this show, I have to be at the bottom of my energy because if I'm too affable and too like, hey, like me, it doesn't work, I think. Because David Sedaris is too cool for school. He's like kind of. De- detached by it and that's what the humor comes from his deadpan delivery well and i yes and i think also that when i then switch to the elf there needs to be a jump right like there needs to be like a huge jump between narrator david and crumpet the elf so it's nice it's it's a relief because i just get to if i'm tired or just generally having seasonal affective disorder like i do <laughs> um, i just go out on stage and just sort of like low energy i'm like hey everybody and like they love it but well, then when and, the and, off comes you come alive yeah a little bit yeah, more, yeah. that's the part and like uh you david sedaris both of you guys have a history of uh mind-altering substances and and you know exotic gigs <laughs> and so it is a perfect gig it's a perfect fit for you yeah it feels it feels that way it feels um I'm like I'm well suited to the job and uh, it's nice because it hasn't felt uh, very effortful, um, which is really, really great. Um, I've just felt like I've been able to go out there and tell the story. I've deep respect for the way he reads his own material. And so um, although I'm not trying to do any sort of vocal impression, I'm really aware of the fact that he takes time to land the beats of his story. He goes fast and then he lands. He goes fast and then he lands. So I try to do that on stage as well. Well, this podcast and David Serdaris uh, both have a shared history together. Uh, David's start is in performance art. Mm-hmm. And he was when he was on start again on television, my mother would call him like, there's this gay guy who's a homeschooler just like you. <laughs> <laughs> He's very funny. You should watch him. You know, but but David Sedaris used to perform in a lot of the same venues that we used to. And uh, he's just like one gen. He was based out of Chicago, Mm -hmm. and he and uh, his friend um, were involved in a little show called This American Life, Mm -hmm. and that's uh, where he started performing uh, excerpts of his one man show, The Sandaland Diaries, and it became such a sensation that it made him into a household name, right? And uh, you know, so it's it's really great to see this like Chicago legend um, become an international. Uh, sensation for its theatrical work. And it's really great that you're doing this now. For people who are not familiar with the Sandaland Diaries, can you kind of walk us through what the the show is about or or what what it, what what can we expect from it? Yeah. Um you meet uh David, an out of work actor who's just moved to New York. Um it's a one person show, so it's just uh, me talking directly to the audience. And uh I Explain uh, the interview process, uh, the um, what was the interviewing for uh, for a job as an elf in Macy's Santa Land. Um, And so he uh, sort of has some reservations about applying, but he needs a job. And so he takes the job and then you go through training. You go through the day to day work. You go through his sort of emotional unraveling. Um, in the face of uh, retail work in character as a happy elf. <laughs> Have you ever had a theatrical gig that wasn't inside a theater 
where you sort of had to be in the same kind of um, awkward space between you and the public? Uh, yeah, I did this um, Halloween murder mystery gig um, that paid very well. And um, I had to do this thing at the Morton Arboretum with a lot of very rich people um, who got very drunk and um, <laughs> sort of lost the thread of uh, the murder mystery and just sort of wanted to generally... Um, a paw at me. And so I just had to, the good news <laughs> was I was um, in charge of it. I was the detective at the murder mystery. No big deal. And um, I uh, was able to sort of shut people down throughout the night. So it worked out. If I had to have been one of the like characters who were suspects, I think they had a really hard time. That oh night. man. Yeah. That sort of lack of barrier, you know, there's like um, that stage is like a shield. You know, you at least have that space. Um, and because yeah, if they're going to crawl up on that stage, security is going to come rip them off. Yeah, but they're like, well, it's improv. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're so in my I'm space. Doing. This is all just like a fun party, and like they don't have a concept that you're not drinking, mm-hmm. like you're not at a party, like you're at work, and so um, yeah, those jobs are hard. Those yeah. people, like I have deep, deep respect for anyone who can maintain their composure. Doing the the world at like the that. time that the Sandaland Diaries was created was a world of a lot of inequality and um, it was not expected for a lot of actors to write their own material. Um, You know, the genre of performance art, the solo shows, all that stuff came at the height of the AIDS crisis when a lot of marginalized people were not seeing themselves reflected in theater Mm -hmm. and in television and film. And so David Sedaris, uh, you know, was kind of a voice for his generation in telling the story of what it was like for him as a gay man who was struggling with drug addiction and depression and isolation and his, you know, um, frustrated creativity in a commercial, never ending, happy, um, you know, saccharine world of, of the retail space. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's why we're still fascinated with the Santa Land Diaries to this day. Yeah, I think it's like... Uh... I think anyone who I want to have a conversation with, you know, is um, is unable to just completely buy in every moment to everything we're sold around the holidays. You know, um, I, I said it before, but legit, uh, I have seasonal affective disorder. I mean, it, as the days get shorter, earlier and earlier, I just find myself in this sort of general melancholy. And then we're supposed to like put a big smile over it and like <laughs> sing songs and like light a fire and just enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it at a certain height, somehow it's a failure. And I think what I really like about this story is that I, at least the way I see it, is it's not just like a snarky comedy monologue. It's truly someone trying to navigate what he's trying to sell versus what he's seeing every day. Mm-hmm. And um, he presents it to the audience in a way to be like, I, I know what it's supposed to be, but this is what I'm seeing. And then there are a couple of moments, and those are kind of my favorite moments in the show, of, of real, genuine um, magic that happened. And I think that's real, too. Like, you see it happen. You know, I mm-hmm. there, there are moments, like the first time I hear Mariah Carey's Christmas song, I smile. I like that song. I'm always going <laughs> to like that song. All I want uh, for Christmas. Yeah, is it's, it's a good song and it makes me happy. And it and I'm and I'm always Just, thinking like good for Mariah. And, you know, like it's like a real moment every year where I'm like, oh, you know, I really like that song. Do you like the song because you like the song or do you like the song because everybody else hates the song? 
Oh, I didn't know everybody. I didn't know everybody else hates oh, it. Yeah, it's, on the, it's the number one most hated Christmas song. More than Christmas shoes. <laughs> Do you know that song? Because that song it. is terrible. How does that go? Christmas shoes is all about I, like, like the kid being like, "My mom is dying, and I need to get her shoes." It's crazy. Right. It's write this down. Absolutely horrific. Okay, because every year we do a, a podcast called Incredibly Strange Christmas Music, and so I feel like maybe we did do that like I've 10 years ago I've never heard of something. this before. Oh, yeah. We Christmas have a lot of shoes. Mel Blanc uh, from Warner Brothers, you know, the Bugs Bunny's yeah, yeah. voice, put out a whole Christmas album of songs. Some <sighs> are good, some are not good. I, am, I am, <laughs> will be checking this out. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. You know, I used to have um, like a giant single of Charo doing Mamacita Donde yes, Esta yeah. Santa Claus. Donde Esta Santa Claus. It's so good. I And I loved, I used to read her note um, on the back of the, um, on the jacket. Yeah. That's Charo. Um, as, because she used to say, she would say, love and coochie coochie, Charo. <laughs> I just, I love her so much. <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. You know, in terms of like the, the Santa Line Diaries and, and just this whole idea of like audiences kind of pawing on you, that... You know, that's a thing that I've always been asked, like as a drag performer, as a performance artist, as a musician, it's like, why are you so comfortable with the audience heckling you or breaking that fourth wall or getting involved? And I'm like, well, because it's something exciting. This doesn't happen every day. Yeah. You know, this is not what we expected, but sometimes the most unexpected things can be a delightful surprise. Yeah, I um you know there's a moment in the show where I change on stage and it certainly has had a, a few reactions. We had um a, a sort of a row of impossibly blonde women who were very drunk seeing the show and started, you know, shouting out like, "How do you keep taking it off? Just do it. Just do it." <laughs> and um I uh and I liked it because it allowed me because if you're in your own body, right, like if mm-hmm. you if you feel confident in what you're doing, it doesn't rattle you. All I did was shoot them a look super fast and then shoot the rest of the audience a look. And mm-hmm. they all laughed. Mm-hmm. And now even probably people who may have liked it just fine all of a sudden are all on the same team because they're not that row of impossibly blonde drunk women. <laughs> so you're pretty good at dealing with hecklers, too. Well, I think, uh, uh, yeah, pretty decent. I mean, I it depends if I've eaten. And I'm well slept. I'm good at it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm in a bad place. It requires a lot of you. Like, you have to be on your A game when you start the show. Yeah, you've just got to uh, have confidence. I think that's the biggest thing. I know the words are good, and I feel good about what I'm doing with them. So if someone is going to come in and mess with me on purpose, I think I can shut that down fairly quickly. Um but I mean, if someone's going to be like really belligerent, then I don't Security. know what to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but uh, you're very well known for your one man show, Metacular, where you talk about your struggles and, and, you know, with a sense of humor, with substance abuse and, and meth addiction. And, you know, David Sedaris also shares that background as well and is, has a lot of heartwarming and humorous takes on his own struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about how his work has affected you or? Oh, sure. You know, when I, uh, when I've been interviewed about Methtacular, I've often invoked his name because when I was first writing, uh, Methtacular before I knew it was going to be a, a show, um, I thought I was writing a book of essays and I used to say like David sedaris sort of essays because I was shocked at the fact that this thing that I was so ashamed of and had so many feelings around all my uh, three years as like 
you know, a full-time meth addict, um, I uh, was shocked that it was funny. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect to write jokes about mm. it. And um, and some and his work, um, Augustine Burroughs' work, uh, Anne Lamott. I don't know if you know Anne Lamott's writing. Um, Sarah Val. Those were all people that I uh, read a lot of, and so they influenced um, the way I probably filtered through my own narrative, you know? Do you feel like, you know, because you have this passion for theater that it sort of helps you um, stay on the path of sobriety? Huh. Um, yes. Um, uh, theater is interesting uh, with being sober and, and specifically in Chicago, um, if I if I may say. Um, uh, Chicago is a big drinking town mm. and the theater community um, is wonderful and supportive, and there are a lot of functional alcoholics um, working. And um, that can be weird, but to me, it always serves as a cautionary tale, not as something that seems attractive. Um, and that's just a lucky uh, thing for my brain, you know, like that some switch flipped, and I see that behavior as something I don't want to be a part of. Mm. Um but I do think that there's something interesting about like, I'm not out at the bar where people are talking about the next thing. I'm not hanging out. I go home because I'm tired mm -hmm. um, and I don't like, you know, there's a thing in sober you know, circles that people say, like, you don't go to a barber unless you want a haircut. I don't like hanging out in bars because like eventually it's going to seem normal to have a drink. Mm -hmm. Do people at the end of the show, though, expect to have you come out dressed like an elf and have their photo taken oh. with you? Oh, well, uh, at the end of the show, um, I do come out dressed as an elf and collect for season of concern. OK, so people do take pictures. And I don't I, you know, especially with. The holiday show, like I'm happy enough to have my picture taken with anybody as mm -hmm. long as you ask. When mm -hmm. people just sort of come up, I'm always shocked if they like grab me or something. Um, but uh, that's only happened really one time. Most people are very respectful. And um, and when you agree to take a picture with them, they usually donate more. So like that's worth it for me. Yeah. Back in the day, um, uh, performance artist Annie Sprinkle used yeah. to bring a Polaroid camera. She was a porn star who became a performance artist and told her life story of why she was a sex worker and a porn star and would famously invite the audience to look inside her vagina. Oh, wow. And with, like there would be a line and a, with a flashlight and you would peer into what her vagina looks like on uh -huh. the inside. And there's a very famous photo of me looking into Annie Sprinkle's vagina. At the end of her show, she would charge $20, which at the time was a lot more money than today, it, by having a photo of her boobs on your head. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, 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 it, and, you know, and, and it was a, a good fundraising tool. It was a good moneymaker. And uh, it certainly got people to pull their wallets out, you know. Yeah. And, and if you're going to make it a point to talk about the commodification of your own body, mm -hmm. why not then commodify it for your own benefit, not for some producer's benefit? Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> And Mark and I, you know, through the years, we've had a lot of side hustles to try to make it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one job that is hilarious is our job with the Newberry Library here in Chicago. Uh -huh. So this all begins at my graduation ceremony from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where I was well known as a drag queen who wore stilts. Okay. And the organizer of the graduation ceremony called me up on one day and said, would you mind walking your graduation ceremony in stilts? Are you going to be doing that? Because we want to organize this. And I said, 
we're having a celebrity guest and she, she wants to turn it into more of a show. And I was like, who is this person? And they're like, we can't tell you who it is. So I'm like, so I dressed up in drag in stilts mm-hmm. in my pagan fairy thing. And the, the, uh, the MC, the, the speaker was Yoko Ono. Oh, excellent. <laughs> and she was like, and you know, there are photos of me in drag with Yoko Ono in stilts somewhere in this world, sitting in a filing cabinet uh-huh. somewhere. And um, so someone in the Newberry Library who organizes their annual Christmas fundraiser saw that and paid us a lot of money at the time to basically me and my and my friend Silky Jumbo um, or George Fuller, who are also part of the Feast of Fools variety show mm-hmm. that, you know, begat that scene that begat David Sedaris as well. And we would show up at the Newberry Library in stilts, dress up as pagan Christmas creatures and one year, the, and the people were like kind of drunk and they were, you know, trying to push you or, you yeah. know, being rude and stuff like that. One year they said, it's going to be a, um, a Christmas Carol theme. So we want you to dress up as characters of a Christmas Carol on stilts. Mm-hmm. So Silky dressed up as the ghost of Christmas present, but it was a very spooky, unnerving Dracula, you know, very uh, gothic, intense Christmas demon. Right. And I was Tiny Tim in a giant on stilts with a giant crotch. That's funny. That's on stilts, too, (laughs) with a scarf that went all the way down to the ground. But my makeup was very gender nonconforming. And, you know, like a little young lesbian or, you know, sure. Sandy Duncan on Broadway uh-huh. kind of thing. And people were very unnerved by that. And the following year, they um, they were like, OK, that didn't go over so well. So let's go back to the drag. And uh, we got Mark. For some reason, you said, you know, why don't we do like a a pimp look? Because pimp was a what's really popular at the time. Well, you had this look, and it was uh, you wanted to do a red coat, so we just took red garland and we hot glued it to this big long coat, and then we did the same thing to a hat, and then you wore it the first night, and yes. then um, and then they wanted they hired me the next day to go out on the street, so I'm there on State Street, and we made a Jack Frost outfit. And we were there with our friend Val. I was there with my friend Valerie, who was a stripper. And she was dressed like <laughs> the no, Christmas stripper, basically the Christmas stripper. And so here I am, like Jack Frost. But I didn't really like my costume that first day because people weren't kind of getting it. It was ill-fitting. It was awkward. Uh-huh. So I, I took his his sparkly jacket, the garland jacket, and his sparkly silver hat, and I put on a glitter beard. And then I took a peppermint cane, this giant peppermint cane, and then uh, uh, I walked and I had like these fancy pants and whatnot. And so here I have this this Christmas stripper on my on my on my arm, and we're passing out pamphlets for the Newberry Library's uh, market, their their Christmas market, and they kind of like looked at us like when we walked, like what's going on? Because they got it immediately. I didn't really understand that I looked like a pimp at first. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Sure. I just thought I was just kind of fun looking or uh-huh. whatnot. But then I started getting all these African American women coming up to me and fist bumping me and telling me I looked awesome. <laughs> Awesome. And, like, and then even just like point, and then like she's like dancing around and doing all sorts of stuff. Pole and dancing, pole dancing, yeah. basically. For the street and, <laughs> signs for the Newberry Library. For the, the Newberry, Newberry Library. And for people who don't know, the Newberry Library is kind of like the Smithsonian. It's a very it's, distinguished, it's aristocratic. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very. I have a British friend who likes to talk about having strawberries at the Newberry Library. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, they were a little uh, taken aback by our costumes and. 
we were not invited back the next year. Yeah, yeah that, that was does a sound shame. that does sound like the end of a run. <laughs> like, <laughs> what you described sounds like. But you can uh, buy pictures of me uh, as uh, Pimp Daddy Christmas on our website at feastofun.com/store. <laughs> there's a, there's a T-shirt with and you. Mugs. Yeah, and because our friend Jason was like, "This is so good, we have to take pictures of this." Mm. Oh. And, and the thing about it is, I think you know when you are this artist this marginalized person as a queer person and you're trying to get these gigs usually the gigs that pay very well don't know how to navigate your nonconformity your your queerness and the established things of theater oh yeah 100 percent. you know and so like sandaland diaries uh does this beautiful job of sort of like talking about the feelings and what it feels like to be this misfit in a very eccentric world. Well, yeah. And like, I, you know, it's very rare for me to play a gay person on stage. It just doesn't happen mm. very often. And um, so what ends up happening is I play aliens. You know, I play like <laughs> others. It's like, so it's like if a show is all Gentiles, I play the Jewish character. Mm. Um, I often, I was, you know, telling you guys off a mic, I, you know, I play old people a lot. And I think it's not because I'm old. It's because I'm other. Like, I'm some sort of, like, weird other thing. And if I'm in this super heteronormative show, uh, you know, they want to find a place for me. But, like, I don't quite – they can't put me in, like, these standard gender role things. So they put me in that other role. So you're not going to be, like, the hunk who – Yeah, no, it just never never worked out. Samantha, I can't live without you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, the Hallmark Channel just announced that they're going to be doing gay versions – of their very sentimental, syrupy, sappy movies. Are they considering it? They're in development. I saw saw someone on Twitter talk about it today saying that, like, that's never going to work because it's all about going to your hometown and there's Mm -hmm. not a gay person I know Mm -hmm. who would ever go back to their hometown. (laughs) I was like, yep, that's that's about right. Do you watch those things at all? No. I I will say, though, that when my husband and I went on vacation (laughs) uh, together, it was like we decided to just like go away for like a weekend Mm -hmm. because we hadn't been away in a long time. And we were so tired. We were both so tired that we watched the Lifetime Movie Network and like fell asleep. But um, we watched two murder mysteries and they were terrific. Oh, really? (laughs) No. I mean, they were terrible, (laughs) but I loved every single moment of it. Yeah. um, There's a tweet that's very popular going around. They want to see a Hallmark movie channel where a girl discovers that her hometown's values really suck. So she moves to the big city, gets a big corporate job, marries a CEO, and then they have a non-denominational Christmas celebration. Yeah, 100%. It's like true I, I'm a big fan of uh, the Good Witch series. You can watch them on Netflix. Go on. And part of it is like <laughs> it's terrible. It's absolutely awful. The if you, Good did you, Witch. The Good Witch. And they had uh, Christmas specials. And they had a Christmas special where um, Cassie and Jake decide to get married on Christmas Eve. Oh. Complications arise. Well, who would have guessed? Ex-con Leon Deeks arrives in town and Jake is asked by the mayor... Mayor Tinsdale to make him his top priority. At the same time, Jake's having trouble securing the wedding license since he can't find Cassie's documents proving her existence. There's also the difficulty of finding a wedding cake at the last minute. <laughs> last but not least, Jake's kids are upset. Brandon wants to spend time with his new girlfriend and is feuding with his sister, Lori. Meanwhile, Lori manages to lose Cassie's wedding ring. 
Dun, dun, dun. So the cake and the ring are like C plots, right? Like it's like A plot, B plot, but like at least they included the C plot of like, oh, I gotta find the baker that'll make the, cake. the ring. You lost the ring. I don't know how to tell mom about oh, this. And everybody great. on the show that's evil isn't really evil. They're just slightly misunderstood. Oh, it sounds. You know? It sounds it's like a really sweet. gripping show. It's it, there's this idea of like you know sometimes we see so much wrong in the world. And so much things that don't work out that even though it's a myth, uh-huh. you know, like believing in Santa Claus. Sorry, kids. Yeah. <laughs> you're big your under, Santa Claus. You're under eight listeners. Believing in Trump, you know, it's like it, it, it's something I can understand why people hold on to these uh, fallacies or myths that are not necessarily constructive um, because there is something really soothing and comforting about seeing things work out in the end. Oh, of course. Even yeah. in reality, they probably wouldn't. It's the way I feel about Family Ties reruns. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like 23 minutes and like liberal mom and dad solve it. Great. Yeah, I mean, what's more comforting than <laughs> Michael that? Michael J. Fox is, plays a Republican college student. Yeah, was, it, and like his and his parents are like ex-hippies and yeah. And he's very cynical show. about their peace, love and harmony. Yeah, thing. and he's super charming and Canadian. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You, you Americans with your Democratic Party and stuff. It's not. I rather make America great again. Is that how he talks? Or? I don't remember it being <laughs> just like that, but that, that might be similar. I think he Americanized his accent. Yeah, a little bit. As a kid, did you ever get to go sit on Santa's lap? I don't think so. You know, that's not like a like that sort of like mandatory group fun is not the way my family ever rolled. Mm. Um we on Christmas Eve, we always had my mom's family over and we decorated the tree, which was held over from I, I realized this as I got older. It was held over from the fact that her parents would buy the tree on Christmas Eve because it was cheaper because they were poor. And Aww. so they would like buy this tree and then decorate it and make it a big event. And then when we were kids, we would get the tree and put the lights up like a week before. But then everyone would come over and we decorate it on Christmas Eve, which I liked. It was like Aww. a nice thing. But um. Yeah, we I like that sort of like now we're going to put you in matching outfits sitting here. Mm. That's not like how I came up at all. Yeah. Have you seen like a Santa Claus recently? Like I've been having problems with my voice. And so my uh, I'm seeing a doctor who specializes in uh, transgender people adjusting their voice. And I don't know if you can hear right now, but I'm I'm having a lot of vocal dryness and vocal fry. Oh, yeah, I didn't. And my pitch keeps lowering and lowering and lowering like oh, wow. in a really unnerving way. So I'm having a ther- seeing a therapist in this doctor's office that's in the mall. Oh. And, and and so I was like I was done with the visit and I went to grab something to eat and there was like the Santa booth was there and this guy dressed up as Santa is just sitting there like Looking at me, like, oh, no. are you gonna sit on my lap or what? Uh-huh. <laughs> you should get your picture taken with Santa. Well, it costs money, you know. And there's these well, yeah, two hustlers aren't free. outside, being like, "Are you gonna have a photo taken with Santa Claus?" And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, I was petrified as a kid. I started crying because I was like, I didn't really believe in Santa Claus at that point in time because mm-hmm. we opened our gifts on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So I was just like, I knew that there was no Santa. Plus, I'm the youngest of eight kids. Oh yeah. So all that stuff, you know, was. All the tea was spilled by then. And so I was just like crying, like, don't make me do it. I think I have a picture on Facebook somewhere. I'll share it. But being a drag queen is kind of like being Santa Claus, you no. know? And, and have you ever met uh, some of the more famous Rue girls? They're, they literally organize their meet and greets just like 
meeting Santa Claus. Oh, wow. So you have a, a short amount of time. You have your handlers or the elves, and they give you, you know, you buy something to have them sign. Uh-huh. And um, you sit on their lap or you, you know, have a photo taken with them, and then they go, thank you very much, next. Yeah. And it's the same idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like uh, it's like all those Comic-Con things like that are like that, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of different, though, because the Comic-Cons doesn't allow you to touch the celebrity. They'll be usually behind a table. Well, it depends on what's going on, where you are and what's going on. Sometimes you stand next to them there when you can. But yeah. most of them, it's usually like a row of tables mm. and each thing, each table then has its own row. And when, so, for example, if you want to meet Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk, for example, he's going to be behind the table, and you're going to be in front of it. That's yeah, sure. not always true. Like, and then they they yeah. can be if they really like you. If you won them over, they're like, come around the table, and let's have a photo ticket. Sometimes, but they, not always. Sometimes they stand there. You stand here. You stand there, and so yeah. you're next to them. That yeah. often happens. Merriam Webster says the word of the year this year is they. Who? Merriam Webster, the dictionary. Good for Merriam Webster. What's the word? They. Well, Barry, yes, but tell me who is the word. <laughs> <laughs> so the word is they. They. Yes. And it's uh, they didn't uh, list a runner up this year, but they did say that quid pro quo spiked uh, quid pro quo spiked uh, in searches. Six hundred and forty four percent. Yep. Damn, right. Gina. Yeah. You know, and for those of you who don't know, it means something for something. Which will lead to impeachment. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they unveiled it today. I know. I was up, but I was just like, oh, this is amazing. You mean I, the word they or the impeachment? The impeachment, man. <laughs> I, um, I, I thought of Christmas Carol, actually, this morning. I was like, oh, it's impeachment day, sir. <laughs> it's an impeachment as big as me. <laughs> Go get a big old goose. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord. Well, but but about the agenda on performing words, mm. uh, there's there's a there's always, you know, this is like a trend that I notice with marginalized people is that there always be a new generation that wants to define things on their own terms. Yeah. Um, for a lot of uh, people in the past, they, they didn't use the word homosexual. Mm-hmm. They use the word homophile. Oh. And then that led to homosexual that begat gay. Gay begat, then lesbian, and then begat bisexual, then uh, transvestite and transsexual begat transgender. Mm-hmm. Then it became LGBT, no, GLBT, and then it put ladies first, LGBT. Mm-hmm. Then it became LGBTQ, and so on. And then for a short time in the 90s, uh, um, some very conservative women in Los Angeles wanted to use the term gay L's. Because oh. they felt that the lesbian term lesbian or the word gay didn't it was icky. describe it. Icky. Oh. Now, most recently, uh, one blogger is wanting the word QT, which uh, our For friend. Queer and trans. Queer and trans uh, to Graf. be the new umbrella term for, ever, for sexual and, and gender diversity. Oh. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> Lord, um, I elf Americans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think I generally um, try to um, find out what any particular person wants to be called. I just sort of deal with it on an individual basis. Um, I refer to myself as gay. Um, probably because it's what I came out as, you know, it's like the word I started with. Um, and if someone were to turn to me and say, you shouldn't use that word, I'd be like, hey, hey, hold up. It's mine. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't then you know, use it as a blanket term um, either for other people. Does um, it bother you like wanting to see like terms that people have been using 
to get erased or or substituted for new terminology? No, I think everything changes, right? And if you yeah. can't just like take a breath and and try to keep up with what's going on, you're just going to be, you know, shaking your cane in the air saying get off my lawn. I feel like things are just going to keep changing at uh, probably at hyperspeed. And sometimes things will stick and sometimes things won't. But like, who cares? Mm. You know what I mean? If well, people, people get people yeah. have passion, mm-hmm. if people have passion about it, I shouldn't say who cares like you shouldn't care. I mean, like, right. I don't care enough about which words I use to then put the words I use onto somebody else. Sure. Other people gent generally are more passionate about most things than I am. And so I'm willing to sort of take, have other people take the lead on that stuff. Is that I guess the sense? writer describes the LGBTQIA plus, plus mm-hmm. as a crowded subway of letters. Sure. And a comedians like Dave Chappelle called the alphabet people to dismiss. Which uh-huh. I kind of like. I, <laughs> I'm okay well, with alphabet people. No matter, I think we just, you know, why, why do we need to limit the words we use to talk about ourselves? Well, and also, no matter what, comedians like Dave Chappelle are going to make fun of whatever they want. Mm-hmm. It's like how, like, in this nomination process, process, you know, people are so scared to nominate someone too liberal. And I was like, it doesn't matter. They're going to paint the Democrat as a socialist uh, no matter what. It's what they do. And people are going to paint the greater queer community or whatever title you'd prefer to use as uh, something to be laughed at if it suits their market. Mm. You know what I mean? We can't. Once we start worrying about what they say. Oh, geez, it's too much. They. Word of the year. Word of the year. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the younger generation is uh, 50 percent of them are identifying as LGBTQIA. So eventually it's just going to become like, what's a label going to mean anymore anyway when everybody's queer? Right. What do words mean when we have too many of them? (laughs) (laughs) There are many ways Mm. to say I love you. There are many ways to say. Say I care for you. And that sentiment is as old as time. That is lovely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Timeless. Uh, but not according to Billy D. Williams, who continues to clarify what he meant by being male and female. So he, he said that he's got feminine and male sides to him, that he's a very soft person. So all of a sudden there's an explosion of things online saying that Billy D. Williams is gender fluid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, gender fluid? What what is that? <laughs> yeah. He is uh he it was a mistake to cast Lando Calrissian as pansexual in the 2018 solo a Star Wars story. I watched the film, I didn't see anything, but I think he's referring to the affection between Lando Calrissian and the robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was hot for that robot. He, he was, was in love with the robot. He was in love with her, and so that made him pansexual. Oh, all right. I'm like, it's still a lady robot. Yeah. The gender has still been programmed to be female, mm-hmm. so. And she was fighting for robot rights. Yes, she was a robot liberationist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that doesn't make him gender fluid. Mm-hmm. It just makes him, you know, like most people, in love with their iPhones. <laughs> Put that down. I'm talking to you right now. (laughs) So I don't, you know, part of it is like everyone's just, this does strike me as, you know, marketing for the new Star Wars movie that's just around the corner. But at the same time, it is interesting to see a lot of these sort of senior African-American celebrities who just do not give a fuck. (laughs) 
Like Quincy Jones. Oh, but the people coming out with these interviews, yeah, stories, that are, yeah. They're just like, I'm old, I don't care, let me tell you how it really is. I feel that way about generally uh, all older celebrities. I feel like uh, Angelica Houston had a big interview recently where she was just literally just like, being like, that person's terrible. Let me tell you about this. Another thing, <laughs> like the reporter's leaving and she's like, also Harrison Ford. Like she just <laughs> was ready, you oh. know, and I think that that's that thing, oh. right? Like once you've been, uh, they don't have to worry anymore. They're, mm-hmm. you know, their career set. They're, they did. They their did life. their big things. Mm-hmm. It's it's done. And you know, this is a chance to to speak freely. And I think the more that happens, the better. You know, what I mean, truly, always. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it is that that you know people are willing to hear what they have to say. I think you know there is this uh, divisive um, attempt a- attempt to divide us by portraying all the problems in society as the sole responsibility of a certain generation of people. Oh, sure. And, you know, right now on social, every day on social media, like I, you know, this whole okay boomer thing, which I said as a joke to Peaches Christ yesterday, (laughs) cause she was talking about how she, we were both talking about how we want to live in a world where somebody doesn't need to have the pressure to have plastic surgery, to be heard and celebrated like Madonna probably has that pressure. And I want to see a wrinkled, you know, gray-haired Madonna as much as I want to see the plastic surgery yeah, sure. Madonna. And I want to see all those kind of things. And then, so Peach just agreed with me. And then after she was done, I said, flipped it on her and said, OK, Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like with OK, Boomer, there will always be somebody younger, prettier and whippersnapperier behind the stairs on you to throw mm-hmm. that insult at you. Mm-hmm. There well, will always be something. Well, somebody. they're not going to necessarily get the sense of humor. Like, I, w- I sat behind a younger person at, at watching your show, uh-huh. and there was things that you were said that I'm laughing at, and this person is just shaking their head. Oh, sure. And I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, I w- it was definitely about the Black Santa stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, they were shaking their head to that, because I think uh, for a lot of people even talking about race in that way. Sure. It, it, it comes off as racist. Yeah, sure. And and listen, I think it's an interesting uh, moment in the show for sure. Mm-hmm. And I try very hard to navigate it in laying into the very beginning thing of talking about like, isn't it crazy that there's only two? Mm-hmm. Like, because that I think sets the whole premise up for the section. Mm-hmm. What what is only, only two? two? What? Um, he talks about how of all the Santas, there's only two that are black, and and the fact that like. That like that's crazy. There there's should be more. Come, there's some people that are like I absolutely have to have a white Santa. Like, yes, it like goes into like yeah. the racism of yeah. the customers. And then there's a black woman who's like, okay, I want the black Santa, but he's not black enough. Yeah, this one's not black enough. <laughs> and I think that those are like very interesting stories. And also the fact that I think she is painted as reasonable too. Like at least mm-hmm. the way I'm telling the story for sure. Mm-hmm. At my point of view on it is like, well, she's right. Like he's, not black like, he's not like he's like this light skinned man and there's no one who looks like her. And yeah. I think that's ridiculous. That's my point of view on it. Um, but no I, one likes a skinny Santa. <laughs> <laughs> that's from Rankin Bass. Yeah, eat, eat Papa. Eat, right? Eat Papa. Uh, yeah. Eat. Yeah. Why yeah. I can't. I'm worried about Christmas. <laughs> I am. Um, you know, and, and for me, I, you know, of course, it's the third rail, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. touch it. Like you don't say it. And it's been interesting because. Every um, audience member, a non-white audience member who's come up to me afterwards has been like, I loved this show. Mm -hmm. Like they had the best time. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that like 
they didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with that section, or at least have not didn't feel the need they, to bring it up. Some of them may have even appreciated it. Yeah, it was you like, know, I'm like, glad that was addressed. I'm also a part of this. Yeah, you know. Um, right. Well, there's this undercurrent that I noticed that a lot of people who come from very privileged backgrounds who don't have a lot of um, uh, boots on the ground experience of what it likes is like to struggle at a job that doesn't pay well, where you're not appreciated, where you're being exploited, where you're working with a lot of disenfranchised people of all different Mm -hmm. walks of life Um, and say they want to make the world a better place for everyone, but they don't have the ability to listen to what other people are saying and Mm -hmm. what their needs are. And so you have that, that, incongruency, you know, so they go on social media and they're like, this is the way they're very bossy, right? They're wanting to tell everybody you have to use QT or okay, boomer or this and that, (laughs) you know, um, you, and, and part of it is like, you know, in terms of civil rights, it's a negotiation. It's a conversation that we're always going to have. Mm -hmm. And when we stop listening to each other, that's when we really struggle. Apathy is the real criminal here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, if anybody comes to see the show and uh, thinks that that is something that shouldn't be talked about, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily come up to me. I didn't write it, you know, but you definitely you can write an angry letter to yeah. David Sedaris or even blame Amy Sedaris. <laughs> Who's, who's been on all over Twitter from The Mandalorian? Yes. <laughs> Is it, here's the thing about Amy Sedaris. For no good reason, I root for her in everything. Oh, yeah. Like, Why just wouldn't she? As She's if, a goddess. Yeah, but like as if. As if she were my sister. <laughs> like, I'm always like, oh, good for Amy Sedaris. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite bits of all time was her on David Letterman giving a tour of her West Village neighborhood. It is. I look it up. It. Look it up. It is. I'll look at it. It is one of the funniest things. She's like keeps calling to like imaginary friends off mm-hmm. camera. Mm-hmm. She's just she's just really, really funny. And one, of our, so one of our friends did her wigs for the second season of strangers with candy, uh, Perfidia. Perfidia, who was in our, our cooking with drag Queens. And she said, Amy would show up on set with baked goods and sell them to the crew and stuff like it's that. Amazing. So she was always hustling and she, you know, even throughout her career, she always kept her job waiting tables at this place in New York city, mm-hmm. uh, because it was a way to connect with the people, but also it's expensive to live in New York. Yeah. Well, she would, uh, stand out in the street corner in Greenwich village with a tray of cupcakes and somebody will walk past her and they're like, are you Amy Sedaris? And she's like, Hey faggot, buy a cupcake. <laughs> She's, I mean, she's just uh, and the best of the, all. Have you seen The Mandalorian? I've not. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, it was so excited because I didn't realize she was going to be in it. And now all of a sudden I see her. I'm like, wait a second. Is that? And Faust is like, yeah, that's Amy Sedaris. And she's doing her best um, uh, uh, from Aliens. Sigourney Weaver. Ripley. Ripley. Mostly. And it's just, it's so wonderful to see her in that role. I mean, you know, it's, it's comedic for sure. Uh, but it's also she's very sweet with baby Yoda and everything. Well, she's an incredibly good actress. Yeah. I mean, just any time mm-hmm. she does anything, you she lights up the whole thing. I remember thinking that about her in the movie Elf. Mm. She plays like the secretary. Oh my god, she is. And yeah, she's, she's so in everything. Funny. She's so and in, like so perfectly in that world. It's mm-hmm. just I just love and I, lo- so I love at home. It's at home with Amy. Sedaris. At home it's, with Amy. It's a sister show to Cooking with Drag Queens. Yeah. And uh, she usually ends her little bits um, with I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get laid. I'm going to be late for work on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, listening to the audio book of her, uh, you know, uh, what's that? 
called, you know, the uh, entertaining. I like you just the way you are. It just, I remember (laughs) uh, she kept kept saying like a a bell would go and she would go sidebar. When I like every time, (laughs) every time she said sidebar, it made me laugh out loud. Like she said one word and Mm -hmm. it just made me laugh out loud. I just love her so much. We just don't have enough time in this world to listen to every delicious nugget comes out of those two beautiful brother and sister group. Yeah. The Sedaris twins. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want to do a shout out to uh, another strange kooky Christmas job is uh, Tommy Hall, who used to be a regular on this podcast, um, who for years I would yell at him. You look exactly like a Rankin Bass cartoon Santa. You know, you look you have these rosy cheeks. You're you're adorable. You're Mm -hmm. petite. You're petite. You know, do something with this, you know. And, you know, he the wheels in his head started turning and he was like, well, the Rue girls get gigs. You know, being a Santa is kind of like being a drag queen meeting fans when I just combine the two things. And he decided to become the real elf on the shelf, which is a, I think it's a Scandinavian tradition, right? It's, well, those little elves are those are uh, Norwegian, but they, Norwegian. It's yeah. been branded the elf on the shelf is like a book, I think, that parents do. Yeah, and the elf is like a spy. Yeah, he's watching the kids. Yeah, my niece. My, so I have three. Uh, my brother has three daughters, and the middle girl is hilarious. She's just an oddball, and I love her so much. She refused to have it in the house. Like she, <laughs> she would like pull it down from the shelf and throw it out the front door. She would be like, I will not have that in my house. <laughs> I love it. And I, I just love it. love it. Cause she was like that. She was against the nanny state. Mm-hmm. Like she was just not going to be in <laughs> this world. On. Yeah. No, sir. She was going to live her life. Mm-hmm. Privacy matters. Yeah, well, it matters. Norway, you know, in Norway, they just, Santa Claus is just called the Christmas elf. Right. You know, so it's not like, He's, he's just one of many. He's just yeah. one of many. So uh, Tommy decided to dress up as an elf mm-hmm. and hang around at, you know, openings and galas. And uh, let's he, take an elfie instead of a selfie. He oh, had this picture frame. Sure. And Everybody he loves a, a pun. Uh, he developed this character on the podcast, on social media. He made these YouTube videos. And now he um, got cast on a reality TV show that is a total knockoff of RuPaul's Drag Race. You can watch it on True TV called Santa's in the Barn, where 12 Santa Clauses or Tommy. Because they had some Mrs. Clauses. He was an elf. There's yeah. a lot of Santas. There's pirate Santa. There's all kinds of Santas, mm-hmm. shapes, sizes, and colors, and gender identities, uh, all competing to be the next top Santa Claus. And may the best Santa win. I think they did that, right? They actually <laughs> were for work. Um, and, and so uh, Tommy made it really far. And now he, he uh, got on the Today Show. He got like he's got a career now as this kooky elf. Santa's in the barn is like the worst euphemism I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely, they had a lot of double like, entendres. Is it for sex it. or you have to poop? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I think it's poop. It feels like poop, right? Uh, Santa's in the barn, you guys. I'll be right back. I got to drop him down the chimney. Yeah. I used to, I used to refer to uh, pooping as reading the New Yorker. <laughs> I got to go read the New Yorker. So, uh, yeah, it was such a good uh, reality series. They only had to do one season. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where they left it at. But uh, I remember telling uh, Michelle Visage and other people from RuPaul's Drag Race about it, and they were mad. She, like, picked up the phone and she's like, she called the producers. The producers. And she's like, do you know what they're doing to the show? <laughs> <laughs> they literally said, may the next Santa win. Can you believe that? And I was just like, 
There you go. Well, yeah. it's not like you, that came that came from uh, America's Tara. Next Top yeah. Model. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like, who's stealing what from who? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all stealing from Tyra Banks, I think, in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Before we go, I want to do a shout out to uh, Megan Rapinoe, who's named uh, Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year, the lesbian soccer player. Helped win the World Cup in France this year. She's only, I think, the only like the fourth woman to ever yeah. win, and uh, I really adore her. I think she's wonderful, and I love how she stands up more, takes a knee for Colin uh, Kaepernick, mm-hmm. and uh, some people really hate her for it. But I think she's yeah, and, they, and people rooting against Team USA, yeah. hoping that she'd lose, and she didn't. She didn't. No, she won. Screw the haters. Yeah, yeah, take that. Yeah, soccer. I well, really- you know, uh, what's his name is uh, switching to the British team. Gus Kenworthy is going to yes. he's going to for the oh, 2022 yeah. Winter Olympics. He's going to uh, uh, perform for the uh, British team. His mother is British. Uh, but I think the main reason why he's going to do it is because their team isn't as solid as the American team. And so he doesn't have to go through all these qualifiers, which because he's getting a little old and that kind of stuff is going to beat his body up to hell. So he'll 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 have he'll be better rested for sure. I'm able to just go straight to the Olympics, and go straight to the Olympics yeah. rather than have to qualify. Mm. Imagine being an Olympian. What a crazy thing. Like every four years, I have a shot to do something really big. And other than that, I just have to have like a waiting tables job. Like you what know. don't they have to like do other things? It's right? tough. And, you know, until until what was that guy? Uh, the the diver came out as gay. A lot Greg of Luganus. No, well, yeah. not before. Yeah. After Greg Luganus, because Greg Luganus only came out. Oh, Tom. Tom. Mm-hmm. Not Tom Daly. Uh, no, no. It was the guy who we put on the box of Fruity Cheerios. I forgot his name, but I don't remember his name he either. was Australian. Oh. And, oh, and he did a bunch of video. Like he started doing like you know nude shirtless videos on YouTube. Oh, like, sure, and and that's part of it is like you know you're a very sexy, mm-hmm. beautiful uh, person in the prime of your life. Mm-hmm. They say that those Olympic villages are you know really fun. <laughs> yeah, that is what you hear. They oh. pass condoms out a lot. When we interviewed Paula Poundstone, I think there was a little kind of like lull in the conversation or something, and she was like. You know what I like to think about every now and then? When Gina Davis was in the Olympics for archery. I was <laughs> <laughs> oh. just like, yeah, that was really that cool. That was a thing that happened. <laughs> that yeah, was a that's thing before that she became a famous actor. Gina no, Davis no, was, was after. She was, it was after. Yeah, she was yeah. already been famous. Is, she had already won an Oscar. Yeah. Gina Davis Wait is better than all of us. Wait a minute. Gina Davis got into the Olympics after yes. the accidental tourist? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. It was, yeah, she was, was like the around. 84 Olympics in, in, or 88 Olympics in Los Angeles or whatever or something like that. Even maybe ninety two or ninety six. I feel like it was later because I I have like sort of a memory of it happening. But um, Gina Davis, she's another one I get excited for. If Gina Davis (laughs) does good things, I'm like, good for her. Why do I care? So on Netflix, the long the long kiss good night just just came onto Netflix. Do you Uh know that movie that she did with Samuel L. Jackson? No, it's insane. It's a comedy. It's an action. She's an action star, and and I remember seeing the theater. I think I took it much more seriously back then. Now I watch it as kind. It's rather campy, Uh but you know, it was she was probably one of the first. female action stars in, in many ways. And because you don't really see that many up in, you know, in the eighties, in, in yeah. the 80s, there weren't that many. I mean, would you consider Sigourney Weaver an alien? Sigourney Weaver. Star? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that was the first Linda Hamilton, maybe right. Yeah. Like Linda yeah. Hamilton in that second Terminator sure. movie. Get yeah. away from her. You bitch. 
But if you get a chance, watch it on Netflix, you do be like, oh, wow. And the thing about it that's crazy is like part of it is like uh, the, the part of the element is like these people are going to blow up the Twin Towers. Oh, ooh, <laughs> the villains. Yeah. Um, Gina Davis, sidebar, uh-huh. uh, was on Family Ties for a three episode arc. That's Aww. where I first knew her. She was Aww. she was a housekeeper. That Can you sing the Family them. Ties theme song? I bet we've been together for a million years, and I bet we'll be together for a million more. Oh, it's like I started dreaming on the night we kissed, and I can't remember what I ever did before. What would we do, baby, without us? It was Denise Williams and Johnny Mathis. Sha la la la. Sha la la la. Was it written for the show or it was already a song? It was written. I I don't know, actually. Yeah. It's possible that it could have been written. Because, you know, like that Golden Girls song, I think yes, wasn't right. written yeah. for, for Golden Girls. Yeah. It was like a song she had already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a, we did. A, we also do a podcast on all, all your shitty gay anthems or just shitty covers. No, all your, all gay your anthem, love, beloved gay, gay anthems. anthems are just shitty cover songs. Yeah, it's so totally that, true. That song was written by God. Who was it? It was it was a guy, and he was the son of the woman who was the invisible voice of Hollywood. Andrew Gold. And How his, can you forget Andrew Gold? And I, I, I think that was him. Yeah, yes. his mother did the voice of. Um, uh, like My Fair Lady, I think. It was. Oh, Marty, Marty Nixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, it was Marty wow. Nixon. I think it was Marty Nixon. I saw Marty right. Nixon in the Broadway revival of Nine on Broadway, and she was very good. <laughs> I'm sure she was. <laughs> I'm sure she was. I want to remind folks we can't do this podcast without your support. So if you're not a subscriber, please do so today at feastofun.com. Slash plus because your contribution to the show is what makes this show happen. Also visit our store at feastofun.com slash store and get a t-shirt just in time for Christmas. Yep. Currently, right now, uh, we are trying to keep this show going. Um, a lot of the for over 15 years, our microphones, hard drives, and mixers and cables have been fearlessly been recording podcasts with thousands of legendary LGBTQ artists. Like our friend Steven Strufford. Yeah, pony up, everybody. <laughs> right now, we need your help to save Feast of Fun. Two of our microphones are broken. Uh, our equipment and our website have had it and are in urgent need of repairs in order to continue. I want to do a shout out to Robert K., who donated, J.D. Miller, Sean Lipensky, and uh, Jake Tolan, Ophelia Joyhole, Stephen Howell, Oscar Torres, Alan Meyer, Joe Adame, Kyle Coffin, Larry LaFontaine, Jeff Wright, Mark Stanford, and Mike Stabler. You guys have all done amazing things to keep the show going. And you can participate, too, uh, by going to GoFundMe.com slash SaveFeastOfFun. And right now, our total is $2,132 raised. We have about 1300 more to go. Can we get to 2,500 by the end of today? Let's do it. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Come on, Santa. Bring me a five-pound box of money. Try me. (laughs) Just try me. You know that song? I don't. Oh, it's a good Pearl Bailey. Five-pound box of money, Santa. Oh, it's a good She played the owl in Fox and the Hound, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Pearl Bailey. Yeah. Okay, go see Stephen Stratford in the Santa Land Diaries at the Goodman Theater, now running until December almost, 29th. Almost uh, New Year's Eve. Almost, yeah. And there, there, will there be an extension? Uh, no, <laughs> it's all done. Holidays and then done. Because, you know, in Puerto Rico, Christmas runs until April. 
Oh, really? Oh, yeah, baby. We don't take that Christmas tree until it's nice and brown. That's excellent. <laughs> my birthday is January 2nd. My husband's birthday is December 30th. So by the time my birthday comes around, we just want everything gone. Done. Just like, if we have one more celebration. Do you guys celebrate like President's Day or Valentine's Day or anything like that? President's Day? Presidents. Oh, President's Day. No one celebrates I was, President's Day. No, I mean, I sure. I mean, well, furniture. I like to like sit and meditate on James K. Polk's work <laughs> like everybody. Well, we created a, a special uh, holiday for LGBTQIA or QTs or gender and sexual nonconforming people. We call it Glitter Day. Oh, that's nice. Anyone can celebrate it and you can do anything your heart desires or do nothing at all. Oh, it's that is second, my kind of holiday. Second Saturday in January. It's a real holiday and, and thousands of people all around the world celebrated. They've been celebrating for about 10 years now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a January 11th this year. That's like fair. Festivus, it's a holiday that was created on on a show, uh-huh. and people actually do celebrate. Oh, it I now. love it! I like to celebrate um, February 27th as National 227 Day um, <laughs> oh, in wow. celebration of the Marla Gibb and Jack A. Harry show. Oh, I awesome. do every year. It's, we you sing the theme. It? We si- we uh, I call my friend Fran and we sing the theme song. Oh, so that's on February 27th. February 27th. Two Are you then like the May the Fourth be with you? Like May Fourth? Yeah, exactly. Why not? So, and <laughs> a few years back, we posted about it, and then it went onto what is that website? Delisted. Mm-hmm. He posted about oh. it, and then all of a sudden, Jack Michael's involved. Yeah. yeah, so it was, it was the whole thing. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Steven, it's so good to catch up with you. Congratulations on the hit show. Well, thanks. And uh, I hope that you uh, handle all those uh, touchy-feely fans in the best way. Yes. <laughs> yes, with, with distance. Oh, I gotta have my photo taken with this elf. Oh, Take you're so cute. Your clothes off. You'll have a Christmas. <laughs> Take an elfie with me, Steven Strafford. <laughs> I will not be saying that. <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Bye, Bye-bye. everybody. Hey Santa Claus, you want to make me happy this year? Listen to me, honey. Give Pearl something that'll be of some use to me, like a, like a five-pound box of money. Now, now there's a little gift. It's loaded with lots of sentiment. See, when I ever I get blue, Santa, I'm gonna think of you. But at the same time, that will change to pay my rent, you see? Now, money isn't everything. There's no two ways about it. But while we're here, Santa dear, is much better with than without it. So, really, I could be real good and not do nothing funny. If you do like I ask you, start me right on Christmas night. Try me, try me. Try me on that money. Just try me on it. Santa, can you hear me? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.